Hey, listen, I've been getting a hard time from some of y'all about how close I'm standing to the end of this stage. People are getting nervous, but here's what I'm going to tell you. I want y'all to fill up these front rows. I'll stop standing so close to the front, all right? I like to be close to you. I just can't help myself, all right? So I'm going to try. Don't worry. I, can, I think I can survive this, all right? I think I'll be all right, but I'm going to try to stay up here as best I can. Listen, have you ever noticed, uh, and, and really, I find it funny. You probably do, too. When people say, no offense, you can guarantee that the next words out of their mouth are probably going to offend you, right? I mean, that's just how it works. Everybody recognizes this. No offense basically means I'm about to say something that's going to offend you, but don't get mad. Right? I mean, we just know that's how it goes. And, and also, just kind of an, as, as an aside, have you ever noticed that you can, you can pretty much never really remember all the nice things people have said about you, but you will absolutely never forget some of those harsh things that somebody has said to you, right? Some of the things that wounded you or hurt you, you could, you could like write a play around that moment when they said the thing they said that wounded you, that you took offense to. Like you could paint a scene with that image that's in your mind of that time that you were offended. You could. It was a cold, dark winter's day. She was wearing a red sweater. The smell of elderberries was in the air. She looked serene, but her face masked her true emotions. And then she said, right? We could all do this. We could all describe in just like eerie detail that day when somebody said something that hurt us. But like I said, most of us would have trouble remembering the times when somebody's maybe like built us up or said something really nice about us. How do we get to that place where we stop hanging on to offenses? The truth is we're all guilty of hanging on to times when we've been wounded Times where we have decided that, you know, again, somebody's hurt us and we keep score. We, we do. It's just a part of our human nature. We're ingrained from that time when we're young kids to keep score. So I get that it's hard for us to not do that. But what happens is when we keep score, we have a lot to lose. We have a lot to lose in our relationships, our friendships, our marriages. Scorekeeping can be absolutely detrimental in every one of those relationships. I had to learn this pretty early on. I mean, it was really one of the things my wife had to teach me, just in all seriousness, that scorekeeping was not good in a marriage relationship. We just celebrated 20 years, so she's, she's gotten me this far, y'all. All right, I figured it out a little bit. But, you know, I really thought, you know, I really thought this was how relationships worked. Like, yeah, well, you did this. Yeah, but let me remember that time you did this thing. Or when it came to things around the house, yeah, well, I did this, 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 and this, and you only did this. You know, I just thought that was how it was supposed to go. But I learned pretty early on that scorekeeping was not healthy for that relationship. And in the same way, when we have been wounded, when we have had, again, those situations where somebody's wronged us or where we know we're struggling in a relationship with somebody else because of something they've done or said, we have to get to that place where we are able to overcome that wound 
and move forward for the cause of Christ. And this is easy to say, and you know it's hard to do. It's hard for all of us, because as I've already established, we remember in vivid detail the times we've been wounded and hurt. We remember all the wounds. We remember all the hurt, the offense. But Jesus has called us to be like him. And here's what Jesus tells us about himself in the very nature of God. We know his ways are not our ways, but that he has loved us and not decided to hold against us our offenses against him. And subsequently, we should be a people that because of Christ and our relationship with him, we will not hold offenses that have been done to us against other people, both for the thriving of those relationships and most critically, the proclamation of the gospel. Because when we are holding an offense, when we are holding on to an offense, we will find it nearly impossible to put to the front the gospel of Jesus Christ. Instead, we will put to the front what? Our offense, right? The way we've been wounded. And it just breaks the whole deal. And listen to this, listen to this text that's really gonna teach us this morning. You'll know it, 1 Corinthians 13, four through eight, and it's really only the first part of verse eight. You hear this at every wedding you've ever gone to probably, and most of you've grown up hearing this text in the church, but this is really about that higher standard we've been called to as Christ followers. It is a standard of love. And here's what Paul says. He says, love is patient and love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast. It is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, and it keeps no record of what? Wrongs. Keeps no record of offenses or wrongs. This is what we're called to as Christ followers. If we are living in the love that Christ calls us to, verse Six, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And then Paul basically says, in short, love never fails. He sums it all up with that simple idea. As most of you know, this word that's translated love here is the word agape. You've probably heard this lesson a million times, but it's critical that we hear it again today. Agape is a love that is a descriptive word of the love of God itself. It is a deep, self-sacrificial love. If you break down all of verse four in the Greek, and I won't do every single word, but I will share with you just a few of the critical words here. Love, agape, is patient. Love, agape, is kind. It keeps no record, the word record there in the Greek is logizomai, and that word is basically a legalese kind of term about keeping a record of things, right? Which is why it gets translated the way it does. And wrongs there, wrongs is kekos. 
that it keeps no record of wrongs. This is, in short, what God has done for you and me. He has taken the list of your wrongs, your offenses against him, which were they on one of those scrolls of paper, which stretch out as far as the eye can see. He's taken that and he said, I'm keeping no record of this. Because of what? One word. Agape. A couple of different words for love in the Greek. Agape, which we've talked about. Phileo, which is like a friendship kind of love. And eros, which is, uh, a, you know, a, a more of a romantic type love, if you will. But the word here used is agape, and it's purposeful. And it's laid out before us with a sense of clarity and expectation. Clarity about who God is an expectation about who we will be because we know him. Because we know his very nature. Look at this in 1 John chapter 4. Not all of this will be on the screen, but your total, you can you know, look this up, Google it, use your Bible app, open your physical Bible, however you want to do it. 1 John 4, 16 through 19. I just want you to hear about the very nature of God. Listen to this. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. Boy, it just starts, man. It just starts right there. We know and rely on the love that God has for us. I don't know about you, but as a Christian, I am knowing and I am relying on the love that God has for me. Everything else is gonna come up short. I'm not going to be good enough to save myself. I'm not going to be good enough to walk in the ways of Christ on a day in and day out basis. I'm not going to be a good enough husband or father or friend. I'm not going to do that on my own. I can't accomplish that on my own. And listen, I'm relying on the love God has for me. So God is love. God is agape. Whoever lives in agape lives in God and God in them. This is how agape is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. That means that when Jesus comes back to claim his own or when I die, I can have confidence if I am living in Christ that he has already decided because of his agape for me to not keep a logismi, a list, a record of my wrongs. He has cast it off. It's good news. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love, and this is at the heart of it, we love because he first loved us. So how? How do I get to a place where I don't keep the records of the wrongs that somebody has done to me? How do I get to the place where I'm able to let that go? to practice forgiveness when my brother or my sister or my mother or my father or that friend at work or that used to be friend at work 
when they have wounded me, when they have offended me, where do I find the ability to be able to move past that in some kind of a healthy way? Well, we love because he first loved us. We agape because he first agape us. Now, you, most of you knew this. Most of you knew it coming in. The Corinthian church knew this too, and Paul was writing to them. And guess what he was doing? He was reminding them, which is what I'm doing today. Just like Paul was writing to Corinth and saying, look guys, y'all have got this infighting going on in your church, and this is not, I'm not saying this about our church, I'm saying this is what he was saying to that church. Y'all got this infighting going on in your church, you're not getting along, you're not loving one another well. And not only is that hurting you and your relationships with one another, but guess what it's hurting at the tippy tip tip top? The proclamation of the gospel. The gospel is falling by the wayside because you guys are holding on to your offenses. You are holding on to the things that are dividing you. And so I hope you are hearing the heart of the message today. I want to see your, and I believe God, most importantly, wants to see your relationships thrive. And they will only thrive when you get to that place where you are able to let go of offense, to not score keep in those relationships, and to see the proclamation of the gospel come again to the forefront of your mind. And that will only happen when you can reach out, not just to fellow Christians, because make no mistake, much of this is written to Christ-following people, okay? But it impacts your relationships with non-believers, with those who have not yet come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ as well. Because you and I are guilty of writing people off of writing off relationships, of writing off people who have been kind of obstinate about the gospel, they don't wanna hear it. They've kind of thrown you the stiff arm. They behaved in such a way, maybe again, that even offended you. And maybe these people are not even specific people, they're just a type of people. They're just an expectation of what you think people will be like if you tried to share the gospel with them. So you've already just decided, well, no, I'm not going to do that because, and, and maybe you were burned at some other point in your life by somebody like them. So you've just said, well, why should I even try? Friends, this is holding on to offense. This is scorekeeping and it's not healthy. Students at school, you will have somebody that says something, does something that hurts you, that wounds you. And while nobody's asking you to be a doormat, you shouldn't be. You have to be able to, and you have to be able to move first. And, and as it is said, the most mature person in a relationship moves first. Not easy to do, but it's something we are called to as Christians. Do you think that for you as the Christian, you should be the most mature person in the relationship because of what you know about Jesus? I hope you believe the answer to that question is yes. Easy to say, another thing to do. So let me try to give you some help. Let's try to land this plane now. Let me give you three quick things 
that I think, I believe deeply will help you to actually be able to not hold on to these offenses, not score keep, and instead do what Jesus has done for you. First thing is this, will you just begin by assuming the best of others? Just begin by assuming the best of others. And look, this is not easy to do. And sometimes even for me, the longer I'm in the church and somebody has wounded me or they've said or done something that's hurt me, man, I tell you what, even for me, it's hard. It's hard for me to assume the best about somebody. You've maybe heard me say this before too, but, but what we do when somebody says something to us or does something to us, and we're not exactly sure how to take what they're saying, frequently we assume the worst. Oftentimes, because of something that somebody else has done, we expect this person will also be like them, right? So we're not assuming the best, we're beginning by assuming the worst. And in the absence of a reliable narrative, we will create our own. It's just true. When we're not exactly sure about what somebody might mean, we just go ahead and jump to that, yeah, well, I bet they're not for me. And what does that do to the relationship? What does that do for our opportunity to help them see the love of Jesus? It's behind the eight ball already, isn't it? because it's behind all of those things that have come before, all of that offense that we've taken, that wounding that we've experienced, and it keeps us from being able to have even that relationship thrive. It trickles down and not in a healthy way. So we have to get to that place, that more healthy place, where we are able to say, I'm gonna assume the best and not the worst. Now listen to me. You can hear, and you know this about yourself, you are capable of hearing just about anything from somebody that you know is for you, right? If you know somebody is for you, they've clearly experienced, you know, or shown to you in the past, they love you, they care about you. And so the thing they're saying to you, you know is coming from a place of love. And while you may not like to hear the thing they're saying, you're able to receive it because you're starting from a place of trust and peace and not holding offense. And you say, well, yeah, Nick, but how am I supposed to do that with somebody that I don't know? That seems pretty radical. And I'd say, yes, it does. That seems pretty different. And I'd say, yes, it is. But don't you want to be held to a higher standard as a Christ follower? Don't you want to have something that sets you apart? I've already told you, nobody's asking you to be a doormat. We're just asking you to lay aside preconceived notions and previous wounding so that your relationships can thrive and so that the gospel might be proclaimed to more people free of the pain of your past hurts that otherwise will pollute your opportunities to share the gospel. Believe the best. Believe the best.
People that are not for you, they'll make that clear. (laughs) It'll come out in time. And at some point, you'll be able to shake the dust off your feet and move past that if that relationship, if they're, if they're going to be that obtuse. But otherwise, you take the first step as a Christian of saying, I'm, I'm going to believe the best. So I want to hear from you. I want to walk alongside you. I want to do everything I can to love you well. Yes, even love you radically. Not always easy to do. But nobody said agape would be easy. Second thing, wish others well regardless of the circumstances. Sometimes, you know, you're going to butt heads with people. Sometimes you're not, I mean, you're not always going to be best friends with everybody. That's just the nature of things. But the bottom line is you get to that place where you're saying, look, even if we've had conflict in the past, I'm going to wish you well. I'm going to pray for you. And I'm going to pray that there will be heart change in this relationship. Now, most of y'all are cool with that so far. Yeah, I'm going to pray for that person. I'm going to pray that God changes their heart. And they stop being such a stinker. Right? And that's easy to do. But what if I told you that all that praying for heart change probably needs to start with you? Not as exciting then, is it? And a whole lot more difficult. But I'm going to, yes, I'm going to pray and I want to intentionally wish you well and pray for the best regarding your circumstances or regarding your life and you know, regardless of the circumstances that have come before. But I, and I'm going to pray that the Lord will change your heart, but I'm going to pray that he does all the work that is necessary in my own heart first so that that relationship can thrive and so that my opportunity to share the goodness of the gospel with you can thrive. Because a lot of us know the right thing to do We know the right thing to say. We know we're supposed to be looking like Jesus and loving people like Jesus would and, you know, doing what our WWJD band says. Like, we get it. Knowing it is, of course, one thing. Doing it is another. And and that takes doing the hard work of looking into our own hearts. And we, we talked about months ago, right? Heart work is hard work. It's hard. So it has to start there. It has to start with me putting in the work. Pray for your enemy. Pray for yourself too. But don't put all the growth and change expectations on them if you want the relationships to thrive. You're just getting it started. You're priming the pump, if you will. Third and final thing is this. Focus on what you have in common and not in your differences. And this is true for those of us that are, you know, that we're walking together in Christ and we're trying to figure out the the differences we may have in, in theology or, you know, the differences we may have in the way we practice our faith. I mean, certainly it's true within the community of Christ that we try to focus on, you know, the things that matter the most. We're not gonna be a church or a people that major in the minors, in essentials, unity, in non essentials, liberty, but in all things, love. 
I didn't make that up. It's something that's been being said in churches for, you know, eons. But it's the way our mindset should be. And that's amongst believers, though. Keeping in mind, I'm going to be a person that says, I want to try to move past the areas of difference with people that are not believers and move to the things we do have in common. One of the greatest bridge builders you will have with anyone, whether they are a Christian or not, is something that unites just about, well, really everyone. Family. You can frequently start at a place, like in a relationship, where you're just, you're focused on family. Some of y'all have got opportunities on the soccer field, in the workplace, in the school system, where you can focus on family. Even when you disagree about a lot of other things, caring about someone's family, genuinely, not just because you're trying to do it performatively, like putting on a show, but genuinely caring about them, is a place where you can find uniting and can benefit the relationship over the long term. Not just so you can have more friends. I mean, that's a nice positive aside. But so that Christ might be glorified in that relationship. It's critical. And all of this is easy for me to say and it is hard for me and you to do because we are natural scorekeepers. I told you from the very opening illustration of this message that offense stays with us. The pain of it, the hurt, the betrayal, the feeling of having been wounded. And sometimes, the anger. It was a, a guy who went to a Christian counselor. He'd come to counseling because he was having trouble dealing with what I just talked about, his anger. And he was constantly having these outbursts and it was affecting his work and his family and so he, he finally just got to that place where he knew it was bad enough that he had to seek some help. And so as the counselor was talking to him, she wanted to see if he could even get to this place where he could conceive of a life that was free of anger. So she said to him, what, what would your life look like if you got rid of your anger? Of course, she's trying to get him to like go there in his mind's eye and you know, really imagine a life that's like that. But his initial reaction, the initial thing he said to her after a, a long moment of pause was, but if I get rid of my anger, what will I have left? That's how much anger had consumed him. And we hear that and we think, oh, that dude's messed up. But you and I are guilty of it, maybe not to this nth degree, but we are guilty of hanging on and keeping score and holding on to the wrongs and offenses that people have done to us for the exact same reason that guy said when he was asked about imagining a life free of anger. And here's the reason. Because we think holding on 
to offense and scorekeeping gives us control. We use it as a way to control not getting hurt again, or at least the attempt at not being hurt again. So in that same way that this guy can't imagine his life free of anger because his life then will feel even more out of control than it already is. We think about how crazy that is, but we see in his story, he thinks he's under control, but what he really is, is out of control. And when we continually score keep and hold on to offense, we're not in control, we're out of control. Anger ends up winning out in the end. Our relationships deteriorate and the gospel of Jesus Christ cannot, will not rise to the forefront. We think we're in control and I don't know, maybe in some ways we are, just not in a very healthy way. Not in a way that takes us anywhere we wanna go. Christian should be better, should be held to a higher standard. So let us be a people that rise above and beyond, not by our own might and power, not because we just got really good at forgiving people and letting go of offense and not keeping score, but because Jesus got a hold of our heart tore off that tough outer shell that, let me go there with you, y'all, that admittedly has been built up because we had to get some defenses because somebody hurt us. But over time, now all it's really doing is either eating us alive or tearing up opportunities for much to be made of Jesus through our life. Let's love agape so radically that people cannot help but stand up and take notice. Say, wow, they, they, they may not realize it in the moment. But months from now and years from now, when they see relationships healed, when they see the way you love them and cared about them and moved past what had been done or said, they're gonna say, there's something different about them. Their faith rose up. Their love for Jesus showed up. Because at the heart of all of this, it's Jesus saying to us, here's your list of wrongs. I've decided to love you from the very beginning of time. Jesus decided to love you and decided to not hold a record of wrongs over your head. And then, and then he left you with some responsibility. He said, yeah, I loved you from the very beginning of time. I cast your sin in my remembering as far as the east is from the west. I loved you deeply enough to go to the cross and to die for your sins, to take all your sins on me so that you would not have to die and go to hell, but instead die and go and be in paradise with him in the place he is preparing you for.
preparing for you. And his expectation of me and you is simple. He's done all the heavy lifting. It's that I would then say, and now I will love those agape around me as I have been loved. I will lay it down, I'll forgive. I will not be a person who holds on to offense. My prayer for you and for me is that we will radically discover the power of these truths that have been laid bare before our hearts this morning. And it'll change us. It'll take us beyond ourselves because I, I know if I'm just doing it on my own accord, by my own strength, I'm, I'm not gonna love very well. I'm not gonna love very deeply. And I'm gonna be a person that holds on tightly to those past hurts that holds on tightly to that past wounding because I think I'm protecting myself. And really, all I'm doing is limiting myself. Let's be better because of Jesus. Will you be standing now with me? We're gonna sing here in just a moment. If you need to make any kind of commitment to give your life over to the Lord in whatever way, shape, or form, we will walk with you through that. Come up here and talk. Reach out to us online. Let's be singing together. We're here if we can help.